right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, we want to welcome everybody to the place today. Man, it's so great to have everyone here. My name is Steve Husky, and I am the lead pastor, and it is our privilege to have you in the house. I want to say welcome to all of our Faith Church family. Man, it's good to see you guys today. All of our VIPs, everybody watching online, most of all, I want to welcome our Lawrenceburg campus in the house. It's good to see you guys this morning. Come on, let's give it up for them. Well, listen, uh, some of you who have been around here for a little while have heard me say things like this, but it's, it's true. Um, I, I don't have a lot of luck with fire. I, I've caught a lot of stuff on fire in my life, and a lot of it wasn't mine. I've caught carpet on fire, neighbor's garages on fire. Um, like nothing good. It's truly... Um, when my son was probably four or five years old, um, I decided, had this really ingenious idea to have a, have a camp out in our backyard and had his two cousins over. They were about the same age. They were maybe two five-year-olds and a four-year-old around that time and had this whole night planned out. It was going to be this incredible father and son bonding moment that he would never forget. And little did I know, he would never forget. And so, you know, we had, like, I had just had all these really great ideas. And one of the things we had decided to do that I thought would be just really cool is out in the middle of the night is to shoot some fireworks off. And I like fireworks because it starts with the first four letters, fire, and, um, which should have been my first warning sign. But, you know, if you ever shoot any fireworks off, one of the things it says right on the warning label gives you some warnings, and the warnings are there for a reason. You need to pay attention to them. One of the warnings on every firework is to shoot it off on a flat surface, not fairly flat, not relatively flat, flat, flat. So our yard was kind of in a slope, so we were shooting off fireworks in the backyards, and the kids were loving it. We were having a good time. And so I shot this one rocket off, and just be- I lit it and backed up, and just before it went off, it fell down and shot across the yard, across to the other side of my neighbor's fence, and went off. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool, <laughs> until I saw it catch the fence on fire. And so (laughs) this brother can move when something's on fire. That's what I'm telling you. And so I I ran and grabbed a five-gallon bucket. Now, when you're trying to fill up a five-gallon bucket when something's on fire, it fills fills up really slow. And plus, you don't want to fill it all the way up because then you can't run very fast. So I waited until it was about halfway full and ran from our house to this other side. I'm telling you, man, this tree's on fire. The fence is on fire. And I was running so fast. Like, by the time I got there, I'd shaken, like, almost all the water out of the bucket. Like, I, I threw it, like, it was just like, pssst. So it was horrible. It was a bad night. We lived in a smaller city, and so first responders have nothing to do, and so something happens, everybody comes. I'm telling you, like, we had, like, four fire trucks, three ambulances, like, five cop cars. I'm, t- I'm not exaggerating at all. They're all out in front of our house, lights spinning. We got all of our neighbors out in their robes, like, what have the Huskies done now? I'm, this is the truth. Like, if y'all like, man, I would love to li- live next door to my pastor. You wouldn't, I promise. I felt so bad. We caught this whole section of fence on fire. I walked next door, tail between my legs, and tired, tried to apologize and told him we would make it right. And her gracious response was, get off my property. And several weeks later, we got a lawsuit in the mail. It was awesome. Ways to win friends and influence people. Catch their fence on fire. So... <laughs> I'm telling you, it's true. I've caught trees on fire, bushes on fire. It's just horrible. Like, I should just, like, matches should be off limits. When my wife sees me grab a lighter or matches for any reason, she panics because it's just not my friend. However, 
There is one fire that I started 25 years ago, and it's the best fire I ever started, and it's the fire of a relationship with my bride, Shauna Husky. And so here's a question I want to ask as we jump into week number four of relationships. It's this question right here for all of us in this room. If you are married or one day you want to be married, you need to think about this. How well is the fire for your marriage burning? How well is it burning? How well is it burning? Because let's be honest, man, to keep a fire burning, it's a lot of work. But if you have the right environment, if you have the right atmosphere, if you have the right conditions, you can start a fire anywhere. But you got to have the right fuel to keep the fire burning. And so for a few minutes today and the last week, I just want to talk about the relational fuel for your marital fire, how to make sure that it's burning hot and it's burning passionate and it's burning big. Because all of us know in this room, sometimes as you go through life, what started off as a really big fire sometimes tends to diminish. In fact, some of you in this room, and you would just be honest, you might still be married on paper, but your relational fire went out a long time ago. And you're wondering, like, how do, I, how do I stoke the fire? Some of you don't want to stoke the fire. Some of you are just waiting till the kids graduate before you file papers. Some of you might be living under the same roof, but, man, in your heart, it's like, man, just the passion's not there, the fire's not there. Some of you, man, the marriage is okay, but it's not what it used to be. And so I just want to say this, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your relationship is like, I believe, and I said this in week one, and we're going to end this series this week, I believe God wants relationship for you, and I believe he wants your relationships to be great relationships. And the number one relationship outside of a relationship with our Savior Jesus is our relationship with our spouse. It came from heaven. It's God's design. It's God's plan. And he wants your marriage and my marriage to be great marriages. Everybody shout great. And if it's not a great marriage, then something is on our side that we're not doing. And today I want to help you. I'm not going to say anything probably you've not heard, but I'm going to probably say a lot of things that you're not doing. That if you'll put them into practice, you can have a great marriage. And so I just want to say this in the beginning because a lot of us want a happily ever after. You will only, ha you will only be happily ever after if you are consistently ever diligent, which means if you're not putting in the work, if you're not putting in the effort, you will find that that relationship will begin to go out. I mean, think about the vows. Some of you remember the vows you said years ago. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married for 25 years, and I, as a pastor, I've done all kinds of weddings, and I've seen many people you know, uh, write their own vows and write all kinds of special things. I've seen people sing vows um, on their wedding day, which was really cool. But for most of us, we, we just did the tra traditional vows. Think about for a minute the vows that you said to your spouse. Think about what you said in front of friends and family, what you said as a promise, as a covenant before God, what you said as you looked longingly into the beautiful blue eyes of your wife. I looked at my wife for real the day we got married. She's like, I'm like, this is, but it's gone well since then. <laughs> but think about the vows that you said. Think about the promises that you spoke. Again, for most of us who had traditional vows, we opened up with this. I promise to have and to hold. I mean, just the simplicity of making this promise that I want you in my life. I want to be connected to you. I want to be committed to you. 
And I think the word hold is, is not just a philosophical term. I just don't think it's a spiritual term. I think literally God wants us to physically hold each other. Here's just a really simple question. When was the last time you held your spouse? Like some of you, man, are already pumping the brakes because it's been a long time since you just embraced your spouse and held on to each other for more than just a few seconds. Like there was a time you couldn't keep your hands off of them, and now you can't get your hands on them. And we wonder why the marital fire is extinguishing. See, when we talk about the vows that we made, somewhere along the line, it's like we switched them out. We're not living the vows we committed to. We're not, we're not holding on to the promises that we made. Somewhere along the line, we switched out our vows and promises to things like this. I promise to watch too much ESPN and not give you the time of day. I vow to go shopping and spend money we don't have, spend too much time with my girlfriends, and put a bunch of financial pressure and stress on our marriage. I vow to overwhelm my life with habits, hobbies, and careers and have no emotional time left over for you. Like, let's be honest, a lot of us in this room, the vows we made are not the ones we're living, and the ones we're living, it's the things that are really struggling and putting tension and pressure on the relationship. In fact, when you think about the word sin, everybody say sin. Sin is a word that we use most of all when we think about our relationship with God because we recognize we're sinners. Ultimately, sin means to miss the mark. There is a mark of God's holiness. There is a mark of God's law. We couldn't keep the mark. We couldn't hit the mark. So Jesus, our Savior, came and paid the price for our sins so we could be saved and become children of God. Aren't you thankful today for a Savior who paid the price? So while Jesus reestablished the relationship with our Creator, one thing Jesus will not do is reestablish the relationship with your spouse. It's not that God won't intervene. I believe he will. If you'll ask him, God will give you grace. God will renew your heart. But what I mean by that is Jesus won't step in and love your spouse for you. And so a lot of us in this room, we are missing the mark. If we're honest, we are sinning against our spouse. The word sin, again, means to miss the mark. There are really two sins, two categories of sin. There is the category, the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Everybody say that, the sin of commission and the sin of omission. The sin of commission basically means to to do the things you know you shouldn't do. And just think for a moment today in your marriage, in your relationship with your spouse, some of the things you're doing that you know you shouldn't do. Like sometimes we get angry with our spouse. We lose our temper. We say things we shouldn't say. Some of you call names Like there's so many things, and every time we do something we shouldn't do, every time we sin a sin of commission against our spouse, it's like we're throwing a bucket of cold water on the fire of our relationship. And not just the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. You know what the sin of omission is? Sin of omission, if commission is doing what you know you shouldn't do, the sin of omission is not doing what you should do. It's like those, those little things that we need to do that are the fuel for the fire of our relationship. It's the words we speak. It's the romance that we should have. We're going to look at some of these today. But just ask yourself a question. Are you keeping the vows you made? Or are you remaking the vows that you're keeping? Are you sinning against your spouse? Or are you making sure you're fanning the flames 
of relationship. And so I think for all of us in this room, again, it's, it's a real challenge. My wife and I, when we moved in our last house uh, in the city we, moved in, we lived in previously before we moved here, we had, um, we had a wood-burning uh, like stove fireplace in our living room. It was really cool. We moved in. We were so excited to have it. And um, we thought, man, it would just be great to have fires burning. You know, man, there's just nothing like a romantic fire burning. Um, you know, just the light and the warmth, the heat, man, living in the north, you know, your electric bills, your gas bills, they can get pretty high in the winter. So we thought, man, just to have this extra heat source would be really, really cool. And so we had planned on using this wood-burning uh, heater in our, in our main living room. And so we'd fire this thing up, and truly it would heat our entire downstairs. It was so great. But I'm just telling you, man, to, uh, it, while the thought of having one was really cool, I'm just telling you, if you've never had a fireplace that actually burns wood, it is a lot of work. Come on, somebody. Like, first of all, there's this, like, you actually have to have something to put in the fire, and there's not like a wood fairy that comes and drops any off in the middle of the night. Like, a couple times I went out and physically cut down a couple trees and cut wood and then that quick, like I bought a chainsaw. You know, men, when you get like an ID, like you stock up. Like I went and got a chainsaw and gloves and glasses. That chainsaw is collecting dust in my garage still today. Like I used that thing twice and I was out. And then I started paying somebody to bring wood. You got to pay for the wood and it stacks. And I just got to give you this heads up. Stacks of wood beside your home is like a call to all the spiders in your community. Come and live here. For real. But here's the thing is, right, you don't need the wood when it's nice out, it's summer day. You need the wood, especially in the north, when you got two foot of snow. And I would have to get dressed, go tracing outside, and load up with dirty, nasty spider, right, cobweb, and carry this wood into our house, kick all this mess off in the, right in this space, and then go put the fire in the thing. And I don't know if you know this, but fire, it burns quick. So like every two or three hours, I got to go out and get this stack of dirty, nasty wood and bring it in. Next thing I know, I got there's no firewood there. I got to go cut some or pay for some more. But I'm just telling you, it was a beautiful thing to have a fire to keep us warm, to provide light. And here's what I want you to hear today is the same thing is true in your relational fire. That if you want flames, you have to contribute to the fuel of the fire. And so what kind of fuel are you putting on your relational fire? Today, for just a few minutes, I just want to give you some basic fuel tips for the fire of your marriage. I want, to, I want to just kind of go back and maybe look at some things that you and I need to do a better job of. And I believe with all of my heart that if we'll be intentional, God will give us grace. And every one of us in this room, you can have a great marriage. So I'm going to look at a section of Scripture. It's not a... It's not typically one maybe you would think that we would look at talking about marriage, but it'll help us just with a few things to get where we're going. It's the story of Moses. Moses was the leader of the nation of Israel. Um, he's, at this point, they've come out of Egypt, the nation of Israel, this group of Jewish people. They were slaves in the land of Egypt. God sent Moses as a deliverer to ultimately bring freedom to them, to get them out of Egypt. He's taking them to this area that God has for them called the promised land. They're in transition from Egypt to the promised land. Moses is the leader. He's the one who's leading the charge. He's the one who's leading the people. He's there as the judge to work through conflicts. He's there to deal with all the daily issues. I mean, he's got a lot on his plate as a leader of a million people. 
But here's what I want you to see. Exodus chapter 33, verse 8 is a really powerful section of Scripture. Uh, just a few verses here. We're going to read this together. Every voice, come on, y'all read together with me. It says, Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. And they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Now, the tent of meeting was this portable church. It was the portable tabernacle. It was the place, of some of you who know the story, as they traveled this band of a million Jewish people through the promised land, they, would, they were led by the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was where God's presence literally dwelt. And when they would stop and set up camp, they would set up like this portable worship place, this portable worship center, much like Lawrenceburg. It was a portable place that they would pack and unpack. God's presence would lead them as a pillar of uh, fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And the Bible says that this leader of the nation, this leader of the band, would make time to go down. And when he would walk into the tent of meeting, like all the nation of Israel, they would stand, they would watch him go in, and they would watch God's presence represented by that cloud come down. And the Bible says that that God would meet with Moses and Moses would meet with God. And so here's what I want to tell you, man. Here's what I want you to see. And this, you need to write this down. This is the first relational fuel that you need in order to stoke the fire of your marriage. And that's time. Time together. Now think about how simple that is. <laughs> I mean, it's almost crazy that we have to talk about it and write it down. I don't know about you, but when I was dating Shauna, we dated for five years. Like I couldn't get enough of her. Come on, somebody. Like, I would go to the ends of the earth to spend time with my baby. Come on. I mean, truly, when uh, we, we, we lived in the same area, we were together all the time. Um, we, I graduated high school first. I graduated in 90. She graduated in 91. Like, I would go down. I'd take her lunch where she worked. She had a part-time job. I would go down and take her lunch. We spent time together. I'm telling you, every free moment I had, it was with her. And I started stealing some moments I didn't have just to be with her. Come on, y'all need to look at me like you got some romance in your eyes. When I wasn't with her, I was thinking about being with her. And when I wasn't thinking about being with her, I was asleep because that's the only time I didn't think about being with her, and I was dreaming about her. Come on, whoo, I'm scoring some points up here. I'm telling you, like, she was just on my mind. I just wanted to be with her. Uh, when I, when I uh, left Akron U, transferred out of Akron University to go into ministry, went to Valley Forge Christian College to go to Bible school, was there. It was about a six, six-and-a-half-hour drive, and, man, we just thought about how tough it was going to be to be apart. This is, this is before cell phones. This is right. And so, like, I couldn't take being apart. So we, I said, listen, every other weekend I'm coming home. So I would get off work Friday night at 10 o'clock, and I'd make a six-and-a-half-hour drive home. I would be with her for a little bit Saturday. We'd go to church Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, I'd have to get back in the car. I'd have to be on campus at 11 o'clock Sunday night. And it wasn't enough. I started doing that almost every weekend because I couldn't get enough of my baby. <laughs> Come on, I wish somebody helped me today. And now here we are 25 years later. She's on the front porch, and I'm in the living room. She texts me, hey, come out and sit with me. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, do I have to get up and go all the way out there? What do you need? Is, it Is something on fire? 
Come on, right? But it's, it's a crazy thing because time is the first fuel to go in the relationship. And we wonder why that it begins to diminish. And I get it. Life is busy. And I, I get it. We've got jobs to work. And some of you work in one job and two jobs. And you're working separate shifts from your spouse. And you're trying to raise kids. And you're trying to make it happen. And one of you is running your daughter to cheerleading. And one of you is running your son to football. And life can be very busy and overwhelming. But I want you to know something. Moses thought that in order for him to be the leader he needed to be, amongst all the responsibility he had, amongst everything he had on his shoulders, amongst everything that he needed to do every day, he recognized in order for me to be the leader I need to be, I need to make time for God. And I want you to know something amidst everything. Listen, you owe your boss time, and you owe your kids time, and you owe your lawn time, and you owe your kids coaches time. But listen to me, the greatest time that you can invest on planet Earth is in your marriage and with your spouse stop robbing your spouse of time or it will cause the relationship fire to go out you've got to throw the fuel of time on your fire again man I think about when we dated how much time I spent with her how much I wanted to be with her and here's what everybody needs to know listen this is nothing magical but you just need to hear it. you need is you need to work it's hard to keep it as you did to get it. Oh, come on, women. I'm setting you up. I'm tossing you softballs. You need to knock it out of the park. You need to work as hard to keep it as you did to get it. The time. Relationship fuel of time for the marital fire. Again, it's often the first thing to go. And so I, if you're busy, I just can't encourage you enough to make time. If you can't find time, make time. If you're trying to figure out how to do it, sit down together as a couple. Look at your calendars and say, when can we get time together? You walking in after a busy day when your spouse maybe got there an hour before you, sitting down and grunting at the table to each other is not time together. My wife and I, on a regular basis, we try to get away. We try to get to a hotel. I try to get to a hotel. Oh, we're getting to number three. Y'all better be with me. I mean, it's just important. We try to do getaways. And you're like, Pastor, like, we don't have extra money. We don't have disposable income. Listen, it's free to do what we do and just take a walk together through our community. Doesn't cost anything. And so I just can't encourage you enough. Here's what I can tell you about your relationship and what I can tell you about mine. Is the less time you spend together, the less likely you have a strong relational fire. And the more time you're spending intentional together, the stronger the relational fire of your relationship is burning. Come on, somebody. you got to make time for your spouse. you got to make time. Number two, communication. I know it's just, it's not magical. There's, there's no magic formula. If you thought I was going to give you three or four things you never heard of, it's just communication. Everybody shout communication. communication. Did y'all hear the high pitch that was? Because all the guys were like, Ugh. <laughs> come on, men, communication. communication. You, you, you got <laughs> to open up. You got to talk. Relationships rise and fall based on the quality of communication in the relationship. Let me say that again. Relationships rise and fall based on the quality of communication in the relationship. When I talk about communication, I don't mean just shooting the breeze or just talking, though I, that is part of it. Sometimes it's dealing with issues. There are things that, that upset you, that hurt your feelings. There's dreams that you have. There are 
things that are going on and you as a couple need to make sure you're talking about them, that you're dialoguing about them, that you're opening up with them. Again, if you go back, Exodus 33, verse 9, watch this. Moses, he goes into the tent of meeting. Again, watch this. He says, verse 9, as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Like there were times God and Moses were chatting. It's a two-way conversation. Communication is a two-way street. Now, here's what I know is, is women are wired for lots of communication. And men have no wiring at all. Like women, women use on average five times as many words a day as men. But that's not an excuse for us not to talk. Like, we need, to, we, need to, we need to speak up, and we need to listen up. It's just a challenge that we have that it's one of the greatest things as a couple you can share is intimacy. Is if you run and tell your, ladies, if you run and tell your girlfriends everything, but you never open up to your husband, you are violating the covenant of marriage because it is the greatest experience that you can have is to be intimate with one another. And I know as a man, sometimes it's hard to open up. Sometimes like, and women, I'm just telling you, listen, women, I, I know you want it. It's hard for us. It's not natural for us to use the words you use, to say the things you say. But men, it's not an excuse for us. It's not a cop out for us to be silent. One of the greatest needs women have is for their men to open up. Come on, men, shout open up. open up. Talk about your day. Talk about what's going on. Talk about your frustration. It will be relational fuel for the fire. It'll be a log on the fire of your relationship. I'm telling you, the more you talk, the hotter it'll get, and the hotter it gets, the more you win. Oh, I'm trying to help you today. Think about here, when I talk about communication, I mean even compliments. I mean Telling your wife, telling your husband things that they need to hear. This is really, honestly, I believe one of the strong suits my wife and I, we have. We spend time together. We're intentional. At least, I'm just telling you this. My wife never fixes a meal that I don't say thank you for. She never folds clothes if I don't catch her. Hey, babe, thanks for doing my laundry. Never do I mow the lawn. Never do I work on a car that I don't walk in. She'll say, thanks, babe, for taking care of that. We make sure we're celebrating each other. I try to tell my wife every day, babe, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. I love you. You're sexy. You're hot. You're awesome. I want my wife to know it. I want to pour into her communication. I want to pour into her words. Come on, man. God's given you a mouth. Use it. He's given you words. Open up. Listen, stop investing all of your words in your business, in your buddies, in your work. Come home and open up and communicate with your spouse. You got to open up. You got to open up. You want to know how well you're doing in communication? Open up your text log and look at your spouse and look at the last 10 texts that you've sent each other. Someone said marriage is asking your spouse, do you need anything from the store until someone dies? Like I said, do you need anything? Do you need anything? Like we need to open up. We just need not to open up. We need to listen up. Come on, everybody say, listen up. That means to really give your partner, to give your spouse attention, to guard your words, to make sure nothing harsh and mean and hateful and spiteful is coming out, to make sure that you are a, a, a river of life, that you are a log of fuel to the passion of your marriage, that you're communicating good things, you're not just opening up, but you need to listen up. I heard it said one time this way, that this guy is... His wife said to him, you never listen to a word I say, and I'm tired of it. And he thought, that's a strange way to start a conversation, right? Like, 
Like women, man, that's their complaint. That's their frustration. But I'm going to tell you, my wife, when she opens up, I don't always like what my wife says to me. When my wife is honest, I don't always want to hear what she has to say. But I need to hear it because she needs to say it. And if she'll say it and I'll hear it, it'll make our marriage stronger. She doesn't say it often, but one of the challenges that she'll say to me is, I don't feel like I'm as, as important as I should be. You're not spending enough time with me. And I can get all kinds of defensive. What? Because I'll show her on my counter. I've got lunch with you every Wednesday. We just went and got a room in Nashville a month ago. We were just down in Huntsville two weeks ago. Babe, like, and all I'm doing is getting defensive, and all you're doing is shutting your spouse down. There has to be an open environment where your spouse can really be open, really be vulnerable, because that is how intimacy is built, and that is how the fire rages. It was is when there is good communication. When was the last time you had an open conversation with your spouse? The less you're communicating, the smaller your relational fire is burning. And the more open and honest that you are in your marriage, the higher the fire is burning. Come on, somebody. Number three, real quick, if you're taking notes, is intimacy. Is intimacy. Notice what it says here, Exodus 33, 11. It says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to his friend. This is really a mild translation. There are better translations that say this, that God would speak to Moses face to face as a man does to his lover. It's like this, we should have this deep intimacy with God. Like it should be, hey, big man up there, hope you can help me out with a couple of things. Like God really calls us and what he saves us to and what we're going to spend eternity doing is this deep, intimate relationship with our creator. And the reason I love this is because God wants you to have deep, lasting intimacy with your spouse. Intimacy for men is code word for sex. And that's what I'm going to talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I love it. My favorite scripture in the Bible. I've memorized it. I tell my wife, baby, let's do devotions tonight. 1 Corinthians 7, again, we do this. We read this every night. 1 Corinthians, I just feel like the Lord leading us to 1 Corinthians 7. <laughs> it's underlined. It's highlighted in like four colors. But I love this. Watch, watch how this opens. Again, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he is, he is responding as, as an apostolic authority. He's responding as God's voice to the church, to Christ's followers. He's responding to doctrines, heresies, situations. And notice how this starts. Now, regarding the questions you ask in your letter, that means this wasn't a conversation initiated by Paul. This is a conversation initiated by them that they had questions. Questions about what? I'm glad you asked. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. You've got to believe that, le- that question came from the wife. She's like, he's like, see what Paul said? It's good to abstain from sexual relations. Some of you are like, great, because it's been like three months. But... Everybody shout, but, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife should have his, her own husband. Verse three, come on, read it with me. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Do not deprive each other from sexual relations. It's funny, but if I can just be just really honest and really Some of you might say crass. 
But one of the worst things that you can do to your spouse, especially wives to husbands, is to no longer be sexually active because you're mad, frustrated, upset. You are like the person that drives in the left-hand lane and you refuse to let anybody pass because you want to prove a point. You're not keeping that person from going a certain speed. All you're doing is messing, messing with them and making them angry. God has blessed relationship with sexuality. And it's not a tool to be leveraged against your spouse. It is fuel for the fire, for the passion of your marriage. And I know the other side because I've done lots of marital counseling and, and wives will come and say, so pastor, just tell me like, like I should just sleep with my husband regardless how he treats me. No, absolutely not. That's not what Paul says at all. Paul makes it very clear that not only is a wife to fulfill her husband's sexual needs, but a, a husband is to fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Which is, it means in order for you to have needs, you got to communicate what those needs are. One of the best conversations you can have with each other is about the sexual needs you have. I promise you they're there. Have you talked about them? Are you meeting them in your marriage? Because if there is not sexual intimacy happening in the context of relationship, your relational fire is dying. Come on, are you all with me today? It's just one of the challenges. So really what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, as far as sex in the relationship, intimacy on, inside of the marriage is that it's a legitimate need. Everybody say a legitimate need. So again, I know there's this idea, guys will say, man, I'm going to die if I don't get it. You won't die. However, Paul makes it clear spiritually, this is Bible, this is Jesus, that it's a real need because of sexual immorality in this world. Not only are you stoking the flames of fire in your relationship, but you are safeguarding the integrity of your spouse when you meet their sexual needs. It is truly, truly something God calls us to. It's a mutual benefit. It's a way that we meet each other's needs. God has wired us and created us for sexual intimacy. It's a great gift. I believe God wants us to be sexually active in the context of our marriage. Let's be honest, men. Some of us, it's the reason we got married. Come on. Y'all got to help me out up here. Be like, I'm glad this series is almost over. <laughs> It's a spiritual obligation. Like the Apostle Paul, like he is so brass tacks, he's so honest. He says, hey, listen, man, I, I want you to know that you need to fulfill your husband's sexual needs. Husbands, you need, it's your obligation to fulfill your wife's sexual needs. It is glorious in the context of creation. It is a gift that God's given us. And for some reason, we throw time out the window. We get busy and we spend it on everybody but our spouse. We talk to everybody through the day but come home and we're silent with our spouse. We start off like rabbits in the early stages of marriage. And here we are, some of you, just a couple months or years later. And like everything's on hold and you wonder why the relationship fire is dying. I'm telling you, listen to me. Put some intimacy on the fire. Put some time in the fire. Put some communication in the fire. And I promise you, your fire will go to another level and it can burn bright again. It's not magic. I promise you it's not magic. There was a questionnaire that was done. Here's something you need to hear. There was a questionnaire that was done. In the context of church, Christ followers, people that said they loved Jesus, loved the Bible, but apparently had not read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this question was asked. How many times in the last month, listen, 
How many times in the last month have you had sex with your partner? The number one answer was zero. Number one answer was zero. God intended us. Think about it this way. God created us as a triune being. We are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And God has intended us to connect on all three of those levels, spiritually, in our mind, will, and emotions, and in our bodies. And a lot of us, man, we're not connecting on any three of those levels. When you spend time together in God's house, serving God together, when you spend time praying together, you are connecting on a spiritual level, and you are building the spiritual component of your relationship. When you spend time together, laughing together, communicating together, just doing life together, you are doing life together on that soul level and you're building your relational fire. But God also wants you to have a strong physical connection because you are a spirit, soul, and a body. God wants us to connect spiritually. God wants us to connect in our souls, and God wants us to connect in our bodies. And if you're only connecting on one of those, think about that. That's a 33%. If you're only connecting in two out of three, that's 66%. God wants us to have a great marriage, and in order to have a great marriage, we have to connect spiritually. And we've got to connect in our hearts, and we've got to connect in our bodies. Last thing I want to give you real quick, and it's not a principle for you to make your marriage better, but it's just a principle that you need to pay attention to, that your marriage is an example to your children who are watching. One of the greatest things that I have found out, and I kind of knew this, you kind of know this intuitively, but I have seen it, and I, I can tell you, I've witnessed it, that the relationship your children will have will often be a direct reflection of the relationship you now have. Your children will reproduce and repeat the behaviors they see you have in your marriage. They will most likely talk to your spouse the way you talk to your spouse. They will most likely treat your spouse the way you treat your spouse. One of the things that, honestly, I love about my wife, I love about our relationship, truly, is I love it when our kids get on social media and hashtag relationship goals and take a picture of us. The greatest desire, the greatest passion outside of making sure they know Jesus, truly, is I hope with all of my heart, my son has a wife that loves me as much as my wife loves me. I hope with all of my heart that, that my daughters find a man that love them as much as I love their wife or love my wife. Like, I believe that we're not perfect, and don't hear me say this, but we are consistent, and we have a strong relational fire burning because we, we try to make time for each other, and we try to connect. We try to do things together, and it's not always easy, and life is busy, and life is hectic, and I don't talk as much as I should, but I need to push myself, but we keep pushing the boundaries, and we keep making sure that we're throwing fuel on the fire. You look at, watch this, Exodus 33, verse 11. Watch this. It said, afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, the son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. If you don't know the story, Joshua was ultimately, he was the one who came up after Moses. When Moses died, he led the nation of Israel. Where did he learn to be the leader that Moses was? By watching the example that Moses set. And when Moses would slip off out of, out of his busy schedule and spend time with God, Joshua would slip off, and unbeknownst to anybody, he would just hide and he would watch Moses spend time with God. And when Moses died and he took over, he knew how to lead the nation of Israel because he had a great example. Your kids one day most likely will be married, and the best thing you can give them is a great example of how to have 
a great marriage. Now, I don't know if anybody in this room, real quick as we close, has ever gone camping, ever been out at night. How many campers do we have? You know, man, there's nothing like going out in the wilderness, building a great fire. There's nothing worse, though, in the morning when you wake up and it's like 40 degrees and the fire has gone out overnight. It's tough. I'm just telling you, it's tough getting that fire going again. It's easier just to keep feeding it. Come on. It's easier just to get up, keep feeding the fire. It's easier to keep the fire burning than to let the fire go out and try to reignite it. But I said in the beginning, and I'll say it again, listen, if, if, if the circumstances are right, you can start a fire anywhere. And if you have the right fuel, you can keep a fire burning. So if you're here and you're like, Pastor, we're okay, but we want to be better. I'm telling you, pour on more fuel. Ask your spouse. If you're not sure how you're doing, I challenge everybody in this room who's married, before you go to bed tonight, look at your spouse in the face and ask them, how strong would you say our relational fire is burning? Some of you, you're afraid to ask that question because you already know the answer. But I'm telling you, if you'll be honest and you'll invite God in, God will take your relationship to another level. Some of you, the fire has gone out. But I'm telling you, listen, you don't have to start being perfect, but you need to start making progress. God, with your help, I want to love the wife you gave me. I want to love the husband you gave me. Listen, I know marriage is hard. You've got two people living under a roof with different viewpoints, different opinions, raised, different backgrounds. Sometimes they don't always mesh. Sometimes it's not always perfect. But grace and love will make it work. But it's exactly that. It's work. And when you stop working, your fire goes out. And so if you're here today, how many of you in this room would say, Pastor Steve, I want to make sure that I'm building a strong relational fire. Come on. If you're married here, your hand needs to be in the air. Father, I pray for every couple in this room. God, I know marriage is difficult. Lord, I know sometimes we allow our personalities to go sideways. We get distracted from our first love by the busyness of life. We start to shut down emotionally. We start to cut each other off intimately. But I pray in the name of Jesus that, God, you will help us to be intentional, intentional to pour fuel on the fire of our relationship. And, God, I pray a blessing over every couple in this house. I pray that, God, men would be gentle with your wife, that you would speak life to them and love to them and encouragement to them. I pray that you would lead them well. And wives, I pray that God that you would honor the husbands that God's given you, that you would bless them, that you'd be a benefit to them. And I pray your relationship would be stronger than it's ever been as you're intentional like you've never been. And Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, man, make sure you're here next week for a brand new series.